You're listening to another podcast from I'd Rather Be Writing. I'm your host, Tom Johnson, and in this podcast, I'm talking with Rahel Bailey, who is a content management strategist from Vancouver in British Columbia. And this is actually quite a good topic, and Rahel does a good job of getting into all the different angles that content strategy covers. It's a topic that has a lot of different kind of approaches, and and it's a topic that a lot of um, a lot of technical communicators really need because we're always trying to add value to what we do and go beyond mere writing, and this is one way to do it. Rahel Bailey's website is intentionaldesign.ca, so you can go there, find out more about her. And if you want to look at the back archive of podcasts, go to I'dRatherBeWriting.com and click the podcast button. And if you have feedback, please leave it in the show notes or send Rahel, Rahel an email. There's a contact button on her page as well. All right, thanks for listening. So you're writing a book on content strategy. This is this is news to me. I didn't know that. Uh, what uh, prompted you to write a book on on this? Um, I felt that it was time that uh, I kind of codified the things that I was saying. I, I don't know if codify is the right word, um, but that I, I captured what I was saying because I was asked to repeat it so many times and. People would say, "Oh, I wish my boss could hear this. I wish my coworkers could hear this. I wish um, that other people could hear this." And um, at some point, you realize you can't scale yourself. <laughs> so I thought, if I write it down, then as opposed to having to uh, repeat this to get a baseline of what I'm talking to people about they could have something to read. And then if we're having a conversation afterwards, then it's um, we both have that same baseline. And as well, you know, there may be people who are just struggling with how to get their content strategy off the ground, and this could help them. So let's just start with the basic definition here. What, what exactly is content strategy? Uh, content strategy is... A repeatable process or a methodology for managing your content within the entire content life cycle. And it goes from the analysis, which is kind of a mirror of the, the user-centered design process. Who are your users? What do they need? What are the, their user requirements? Then from the business point of view, what are your business requirements? Uh, what does your organization need? What are their big goals and, and how are you supporting those? And then doing your little user stories or, or your personas, your scenarios, your use cases, and then um, kind of doing what I would call the content wireframing, if you will. So taking the content and figuring out the architecture of your content and figuring out the interactions of your content, and then trying to, um, after you do your audit of, of what you have, because you have to kind of inventory your content and figure out what shape it's in, then f- figuring out the model that you're going to create for the content, and then um, getting the buy-in, because that's part of the governance piece, and then at the end, kind of uh, figuring out an implementation strategy for it. So, 
if I understand correctly, the content strategist looks at a lot more than just technical documentation, right? In the typical tech writer's world, you're, you're thinking about your online help, maybe some interface text, your, your other help material. But the content strategist, you're mentioning a lot of different things, user stories, wireframes, interactions. Uh, what, what exactly, can you, can you uh, kind of clarify the scope a little bit more of what this content strategist is trying to consider? Well, that's a very good question because um, you can have a content strategy that's just involving your doc, your technical documentation, but I don't think that that's where you start. That's the end point. If you're doing documentation for the sake of doing documentation, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. And that's where tech writers often get into trouble because then they get slammed for you know, doing the same old manual or doing the, you know, same old, same old, where the the difference is, is that if you're thinking of this as a strategy, right away, you're thinking of it, you're backing way up and you're looking at it from the 30,000 foot view first. And you have to look at it from that view before you uh, zoom in to the, the, actual content itself, the words and the, the, the paragraphs and, and the meaning and the reuse and, and those kinds of things. So if you start from the analytics side and looking at, at business requirements, you're going to have a better idea of what content you need. And um, it may not be the manual that you thought you were going to produce. It might be in a very different format. Um, you know, maybe your audience wants video training, you know, kind of the madcap flare type of back-end video training. Maybe they want um, uh, on-screen hover-over text instead of um, something that's in a print format. You know, there are many considerations. How do you know that you're even delivering the right content in the right medium to the right people if you're not analyzing your content? So in too many organizations, there's this organic growth where it's, we have a manual, now we're going to stick this stuff into manual, and now we're going to stuff that stuff into a manual, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and there's not really that um, analysis each time of where does this stuff really go? Does it go into the instruction side, and it's a different audience, and it has to be a different, uh, delivered in a different way? So those kinds of questions stop getting asked somewhere along the line or it starts becoming a road exercise. Does this need to go into manual? Yes. Why? Because it has to be complete. And uh, those are kind of tactical level questions and we need to stop and say we need to do the strategic stuff and we need to align with our corporate strategic goals. So an example I use uh, a lot of times to explain this is that if you start with your corporate strategic goal and that is to um, expand into the European market with a medical device. Well, expanding into the European market with a medical device means, A, they think they're going to make a lot of money doing that, um, in, uh, you know, extending their market share, and um, B, they're willing to make that investment in to going into the market because you have to, you know, spend some money on salespeople and so on and so forth. So when you look at your documentation and then you say, okay, well, they want to go into all these different countries and, whoa, that automatically means 20 more languages for us. And you have to translate when you're doing medical devices. So what does that mean for your documentation? Well, it means that um, now you have to have a better infrastructure 
to be able to deliver your content. And so um, this is where people will say, okay, well, we need, for example, a content management system. Well, um, there is often a corollary assumption that management won't let us uh, or won't authorize us to get a content management system. But when you start putting it in terms of here's your corporate goal, here's your strategic goal, and you know your marketing goal, then when uh, we're doing this over here, we are actually supporting your goal over there. And so we need to invest in the infrastructure for us to be able to deliver on time, within budget, uh, quality content, and so on and so forth, make a good user experience. And when you frame things like that, then there's going to be more buy-in. So it you know, what I've just said there touches on a lot of things because we talk about breaking down silos. It's no more of this. Um, we're just technical documentation and they're the marketing um, group that has all the budget and um, we're in those two silos. No, it's all kind of together in one big strategy. So even if you have uh, this idea of we have to be the uh, the shepherds of good content on the technical side <coughs> excuse me <clears throat> the idea that it's a corporate strategy and we have to be part of the corporate strategy that's a big piece of of content strategy so i want to back up here just a little bit um and look at what exactly is the problem that the content strategist is trying to solve you're talking about looking at brand and messaging. I mean, is the problem that you just have this growing mass of content that gets out of control and has uh, conflicting messages? Or, I mean, what is the, the core problem that, you know, the content strategist is trying to overcome? Uh, well, the the tactical problems that people um, present to call in a content strategist is often a little different than what the content strategist ends up doing. But l- let's take that... Um, problem that you present and then expand that out. So uh, a content strategist may be called in because people want to single source. As soon as you start asking the questions um, and, and start backing up and doing those the, the strategic part, then it seems like this um, bigger project for a little while before you zoom back in to actually f- fix the content. So a lot of the times a content strategist is called in when um, <clears throat> people are feeling overwhelmed uh, about the project that they've been given to, you know, reach a, a certain goal, and a lot of it is to do with um, increasing efficiency of production and not losing the quality or doing things differently. So there might, you know, it's it's a different game out there now. If you think about it, with uh, um, web delivery and social media and um, all these ways that. Uh, consumers and potential consumers can interact with your organization. And so people are being asked to be responsive to consumers in much different ways. Your, Your documentation isn't really documentation anymore. It's part of the user experience. It's part of that overall user experience. And so it has to be tied into the user experience because if you have a user experience over there somewhere and documentation over here somewhere, then it, it breaks that user experience. And really what you want to have for, for 
uh, users is a seamless user experience. So you have to work really closely with the user experience folks, for example, to say, how are we delivering this content? And a lot of times the content is delivered through a website. And one of the, the, the fundamental things that I say is that everyone talks about marketing material as a way that people make decisions. And that's actually a fallacy. Because if you look at the way people uh, search for information to make a, a purchasing decision, for example, that's because that's not the only thing that they may want to do on, on a website, but they will go and bypass a lot of the marketing material and they will go for the specs. They will go for the data sheet. They will go for the product description. There's uh, actually a, a, an excellent example on uh, useit.com, Jakob Nielsen's site, where he uh, talks about a woman buying an LCD projector. Now, he's drawing different conclusions because the test was set up for a different thing, but what you notice is that she opens a couple of sites and then she goes to read customer reviews on yet another site, an outsider site. And she finds out that the price of light bulbs is the, um, the price and longevity of light bulbs is the key factor to buying, um, a projector. So she does this reverse engineering. She finds out which are the best light bulbs, and then which projectors take it, and which company she feels is reputable, and then she goes and buys it. So she's just looked at all the technical material. And how many times is there marketing material that's really um, great and polished and it has all the keywords and it comes up in the search engines, but when the person actually goes to look for the, what they want to be able to do that search for a product... It's hidden in a PDF somewhere, and people don't like to open PDFs, and particularly if they're doing this kind of casual drive-by uh, hunting. So um, if, if it's not searchable and it's not findable and if it's not on the site, then um, you're breaking the user experience right there and you're decreasing potential sales. So when you start to think about it from that point of view, you say, oh, it's really important that we have key information that's you know technical information, but that it's out there in a way that a person can help make their purchasing decision as well. Then that changes the that changes the game. You kind of go like, oh, you know, um, we need to talk to marketing and explain, and and maybe use some run some user tests, some usability testing, and show how people actually use this stuff so that we can make sure it's out there. And then once you're starting to do that, then there's this recognition that the technical content is important. It's really marketing material is the icing on the cake, and what holds up that icing, the cake itself, that's all your technical material. It seems like the, so you're saying the user experience is basically uh, it is based off of a number of different things. It's not just the marketing material. It's the technical documentation, the website, the search, the information they download, and so the content strategist is trying to make sure that all of these different formats, even Twitter messages or email campaigns or newsletters, all of them conform to like the brand, the corporate strategy, and the goals that that are set for that product? Well, the content strategist will look at those factors and it may be beyond the scope of, of a project, whether that's an internal or external project, to look at you know all the marketing stuff. But uh, the content strategist needs to ask those questions because if there is 
some sort of marketing campaign or, you know, let's not even focus on marketing. Let's just focus on like the organization, the organizational campaign to um, reach a certain business goal. Then you have to say, okay, well, how does my content help further that goal? And as soon as you start asking that question, then it really changes the outcome uh, and the process of what you're doing drastically. So on on one of the um, STC listservs, uh, I followed a, a brief conversation that went something like, um, my boss asked what my uh, deliverables were for this coming year or, you know, what I was going to do kind of in terms of delivering documentation and that is such a duh question you pay me to make manuals I make manuals like my boss is so stupid and I just thought oh my goodness you know there is an example of someone who's making themselves redundant very quickly because it's not about just making manuals and I'm doing a content strategy right now for a client that really gets it and and I'm just so delighted to be working with them because they um, they have these manuals and they have this help and it's not single source very well right now and their platform is changing and you know it's happening to a lot of companies where they have old uh, mature software and they realize that they need to rewrite the code and and you know do web delivery and software as a service and all this kind of stuff and they just went this is the ideal time to change the way we do content because now the the um, user-centered design team has embedded their um, user assistance into the into the user interface like everywhere you turn from the menu items to little hover overs so that's all um, they call it you know messaging messaging and it is messaging it, it but it's also technical content that's what was in their technical documentation is now part of the user interface so if you were to say well let's just um, not deliver a manual you would have to say let's not deliver half of the user interface you don't have a choice anymore to be uh, as not to be responsive you have to be responsive and you have to do things in different ways so they say okay well there are you know a dozen different ways that our stuff is embedded into the interface well does that mean you write a dozen new content types or do you find a way to uh, write and you know I'll, I'll just jump to a conclusion here a single data topic that is specialized to have a few more um, uh, elements to it and then you uh, reuse those topics through the magic of technology and uh, it it uh, gets syndicated into the user interface now that's the way I would go because I would say all right we need to have a strong reuse strategy we want to not create any more technical um, content if we have to we want to reduce word count keep it um, consistent we want to um, have all those good things you know the um, the four C's of correct complete concise and uh, and clear we we also want to have that ability to integrate converge and syndicate which is kind of the you know the new way of of, uh, of creating content and reusing content so if you put all those together you're not looking at um, the St. Kansas anymore you're not looking at documentation anymore now you're looking at 
just user assistance. How do we use? How do we assist the user wherever they happen to be in the interface? And um, how do we give them enough um, user assistance not to have to go to the help? So where they kind of know what they're doing and they, uh, you know, have these uh, the concepts already. How do we just guide them through by giving them enough uh, little help? in the interface so that they can just do their task. And that's technical uh, documentation, but it's not documentation in the form that we have come to know it. It's not the bad manual that they have to keep open on their desk. We're just delivering it to them in little snippets on screen as they go. And we've known about this for years, uh, decades. It's it's called embedded assistance, right? So those are the kinds of things that uh, a a good strategist will sit back and look at and say, okay, where are all the places that we need this technical content to be? And it might just be, because you're in a regulated industry, it might just be product A, product B, product C, and some you know, good tight reuse, or it could be a, a much greater um, way of, of using the content based on um, what the rest of the organization is doing. And I think it's that um, <clears throat> talking to the rest of the organization and find out, finding out what they're doing that is often the missing piece because uh, documentation will try to figure it out between them themselves and training um, and they don't go and talk to the developers and they don't go and talk to marketing and they don't go and talk to customer loyalty and they don't go and talk to all these other groups that might be struggling with a problem that they can be solving and that you can solve it as a, as a holistic practice and not as this, you know, as a disjointed piece where you've got, you know, customer service people rewriting your technical content to go in their knowledge base so that when they answer the phones that they can get questions, well, why can't they just reuse your content and maybe supplement it? Because your content's there and it's well-written and it's, um, you know, the procedures make sense and you've thought through all these things because that's what you're trained to do as a writer. So uh, if it's already there, they could be capitalizing on it. If you go and talk to them and say, you know, we have this, this body of knowledge that you could be using and but you have to make the business case for it right it all comes back to furthering the corporate goals so you've got to know what the corporate goals are and work backwards from there i know i'm i'm kind of trying to describe this this huge ball of kind of uh, of, of tangled string from all different angles and sometimes it can just seem like it's a, a bit disjointed and unless you stop back and and kind of look at oh yeah this is a great ball of string and that's what i'm looking at and now i'm going to turn it this way and this way and this way and look at it from the different angles and then you kind of say, all right, now now it makes sense what, what you're saying because you, you have to get that sense of the whole before you can get a sense of the parts. Yeah, I I, I think I get a sense of, of what you're saying. I mean, definitely this, is, this contrasts with the traditional sort of operating mode that most technical writers are in, in that you're responsible for a little tiny section of a product and you don't really worry about other things. Marketing people do their thing. And the user experience guys make their design and they discuss it with the program manager or whatever. And the tech writer basically operates <clears throat> independent of many of those things. But um, I mean, you're, w- what I understand is that you're saying that y- you got to take this holistic view and look at all these different forms of content um, and see if, if they're all working together uh, in, a, 
in a positive way towards this branding, this messaging goal um, for the user experience. Definitely. And I think it starts from uh, a very fundamental place. And that fundamental place is that the content that you have is a corporate asset. And up until very recently, uh, management didn't look at it as a corporate asset. They looked at it as a cost center. And when you do that shift, and I say, if you had widgets on a factory floor, you would be managing them in some sort of um, manufacturing uh, system, you know, an inventory management system, if you will, um, an ERP. If you have... um, Financial assets, you don't just throw them in a drawer and say, oh yeah, our company made a bunch of money, let's throw it in a drawer. Maybe when we pull it out, it'll have collected interest and all the bills will have you know, stacked themselves up by currency. You, you have a financial management system, you, whether it's you know, from um, SAP to QuickBooks to uh, ACPAC, you know, who, it doesn't matter the, the the brand. It's the the concept is that you have um, some sort of a system to manage it because it's important to manage it because you can get more done when you manage it. And the same thing with content. If if your content is an asset, how are you managing it? How are you controlling it? Are you giving it the care and the the, the consideration that you give your other assets? Up until now, companies have haven't done that. They haven't really thought about it in those terms, but you say, well, when you have a user experience that um, means that people are doing things online, whether that's um, making purchasing decisions online or making customer um, engagement decisions online because uh, whether they buy your product or not depends on the reviews they got. And the reviews they got depends on how good your software is and, and they decide on that based on how easy it is to use, then right away you're, you're going like, where's the, where's the user support in here? And the user support is where the, um, the content flows. And it's not even documentation anymore. You know, let's get away from the word documentation. It's technical content. So where does that technical content get produced? With tech writers. And where does it live? It, it lives in uh, often in an interface or in a website, or in a knowledge base, or in a learning center. And so when you think about it in that way, you're kind of going back to, oh yeah, this is a valuable asset. And so I'm not going to have this kind of Kleenex model. You know, you create cheap content, you use it once, you flush it. And that's what it's called in the paper industry, you know, single-use single use, single use um, product. And then instead, it's more like, you know, a fine linen handkerchief where, you know, it costs more and there was a workmanship involved. And so you manage it, you know, even a handkerchief, you um, wash it and you iron it and you put it in the drawer. And then, you know, next time you put it in the lapel uh, in your suit lapel pocket. And so there there's some care to it and there's some value to it. And so the same thing with uh, content assets is that you can have that single use model or you can have the multiple use model and, and say that, that the more times I can use this content, the more valuable it is because then I've created it once, but I've been able to use it three or four or five times and that value increases exponentially. So let's find a way to um, create more valuable assets 
less assets probably because you're not doing the use once and toss. So you can have more valuable assets and you can um, uh, reuse them in many places because you've given it more thought and more care and it's been managed better and you can find it on the system and you know that it's accurate and all those things that that we worry about in, in the craftsmanship of, of our work. And um, it can... It, uh, extend to a better user experience and a a better um, brand proposition. It can be part of the brand, uh, you know, that that we have a good user experience. So um, I was reading online a little bit about content strategy and some people use the term lorem ipsum as kind of something that they're a symbol that they're against. What What exactly is that all about? Well, um, the temptation to put the Latin text in as a placeholder is very tempting, and um, it work. It can work for you at some stage, and then it starts to work against you because there's this assumption that oh, if we're going to build containers on the web, and a lot of this is is very web focused. If we're going to build containers on the web. Um, then we need to put some text in there to see how it's going to look and format and so on and so forth. But uh, where it can backfire is that if you're using dummy text, then um, you're restricting your content ability to the size of that dummy text. So, you know, what if you create a little container for drop-down text and you just put in lorem ipsum and they said okay it needs to be this size and then it turns out that all of your messages are twice that long so at some point you need to put real content into your um, into your content blocks to be able to figure out does this really work for the real content you know if your average um, blog post is um, 2,000 words, then are you going to design a container that will only take 1,200 words? <laughs> I, that's not probably not a good example, but that's the kind of stuff. Uh, you know, in our, in our um, industry, we would say um, labels on field names um, in, in your interface. That's always a problem because developers will say, oh, the column has to be this wide, and then the English is too big. And so then there becomes this problem. But if you just put XXXX there when you're doing the design, then um, there's never a problem because you just take out a couple of Xs and it fits. But when you actually get into the, uh, the, the, the use of the terminology, does that fit? And or you know, do you start with that creative um, abbreviation stuff? And then what happens when you translate? Because there, you know, English is a relatively short language, so when you start translating into um, Portuguese and um, uh, the other one, uh, Spanish and German, you know, tw- uh, well, it's been almost uh, twenty years ago when I I worked for a multinational where we discovered the hard way that. The uh, call-out columns in our then paper manuals was too small for the German word for warning, and we had to redesign the entire manual to make sure that um, all of the warnings in all of the languages would fit in the call-out column. So those kinds of things are happening, but on a much more complex basis now, because it's not... um, 
just fiddling with the column width of of a manual that you can kind of propagate throughout the whole manual. It's um, interfaces, and it's interfaces that have to be translated. And then also, um, it's kind of almost easier for technical content that gets delivered as HTML because, you know, you can get things to be a bit more fluid with your CSS. But when it comes to the actual interface names, then um, it's got to be not only accurate and usable, but it has to fit, you know. So um, doing these things with dummy text is never a good idea. So you also have a have a T-shirt that has some kind of like content strategy message on it as well, right? <laughs> I do. I went to the um, interaction design conference and part of my strategy for learning is to learn outside the profession because it's uh, that's where I get a lot of my ideas and a lot of um, the understanding of what the adjacent professions are doing. So I don't pretend to be an interaction designer. I have a lot of respect for interaction designers. Uh, But while I was there, they were giving out um, to all the attendees these t-shirts with a blank space on it. And so kind of a thought bubble and you could write whatever you wanted in there. And because I was one of the maybe um, two content strategists that were at the entire conference, I thought "I, I need to make a statement about content strategy and so I um, I did it by pretending to write code and it's actually valid XML and I noticed that <laughs> that there are two kinds of people and um, the, the one kind of person reads the code and says that is so cool that's valid XML and they have no idea the what was in between the tags and then there are the people who kind of squint and look at what's between the tags and they don't look at the tags at all. And that was quite um, uh, an interesting exercise for me because I hadn't really thought about it in those terms before. But there is that tendency for the people who work on the technical side to be worrying about the tags and not what's in between the tags. And that's where we fit because we worry about the content and not so much about the tags. Although I would say that if if you want to work as a content strategist, you have to worry about the tags too because you, you can't think about content reuse without thinking about semantic content. And that's inside the tags a lot of the time. Wow. So it seems like in order to be a, like a content strategist, you really have to know a lot about different, different things. I mean, you're going to have to... Um know like the taxonomy and the metadata and like how to make searches more accurate and and um, just across across the board and in every format that you're delivering your content is it, how does a content strategist manage to become so kind of versatile in knowledge about every different aspect of, of content. I know that all old saying about how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. I think it's it's a little bit of that because there's not really anywhere that you can um, go to learn to be a content strategist. I think you, you have um, an aptitude and that you've been around the block enough times to kind of know what the um, the business side of things look like. Um, and it helps if you understand some technology because so much of the decisions you're making are based in technology. And that might not be so much for the um, 
content strategists on the website that uh, are, are doing kind of more marketing content strategies. But certainly on the, the technical side, um, I had this very interesting discussion with a, a fellow who works for a UK company and who lives in Spain, actually. And we were chatting about something and um, I, I was talking to him about content strategy and ran him through a, a, a presentation that I sometimes give and he got very excited because he said that's what I've been doing that's what I've been doing and and it 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 feels like nobody else is doing it and I think that's where the profession is at right now or the I don't want to call it a profession the practice area is at right now is that there are a number of people doing this stuff but we all feel very isolated because there really isn't a content strategy um, presence within our profession. And um, thank goodness for people like Christina Halverson and Jeffrey McIntyre and, and Rachel Lovinger who have um, done this on the website and started to create a presence for content strategists. I'm trying to do that same thing on the um, on the technical side. So I started um, a group um, um, a group within the Content Wrangler Ning community. I've um, uh, petitioned STC to create a content strategy SIG. Um, There's also a content strategy group on LinkedIn and there's a Google group. And so, you know, we're we're starting to kind of come together and and gel in some sort of um, amorphous way. We're not really set up into some sort of a, you know, an organization or association. I don't think anybody has the time or energy to even pursue that anymore but um, and I don't think that that's where we need to be I think we need to be part of the larger organizations so part of STC and um, there's been last year there was a, a whole content strategy piece of the information architecture summit so um, I think that uh, from the Usability Professionals Association, the Information Architects Institute, uh, perhaps the Interaction Design Group, um, the the STC Group, that there needs to be uh, kind of a content strategy track, if you will, within those organizations because it's so tightly bound to what they're doing now. I have a couple more questions. Um, it seems like in in most situations for technical writing that that uh where technical writers have like projects rather than like a website so mm-hmm. to speak it seems like the program manager the project manager is the one who looks at content that's being produced who who organizes what the business requirements are who makes sure the design fits the business requirements who coordinates with marketing to make sure the message is consistent who who make sure the product announcements go out. Is the content strategist's role uh, somewhat overlapping with the, pro- the program manager, or project manager's role? I don't know so much about a project manager. Um, it, it's, it's certainly working with a project manager or a product manager. Or sometimes you don't have one of those at all uh, on on projects. I'm thinking of the last project that I did where um, I wasn't even hired as a content strategist. I was brought on board as a business analyst. And so as the analyst, my job was to um, do certain things. And I just said, based on what you tell me that they want as an end product... I think we need to 
have this process and it needs to come out with this outcome um, and um, we need to structure the deliverables in the project differently. So if you have a project manager, that's actually really great because you can go and talk to that project manager and say, you know, if you want to have these outcomes, these are the line items that you need to put in. And there's never a line item for content strategy. I, you know, it's very uh, rare that you see that. I guess that the bigger interactive agencies are starting to build it in but not all of them and uh, not consistently. So, you know, content, they'll have a line for content migration sometimes. And the clients will say, well, you know, we, we don't want to pay for that. So just take that piece out. We'll do that piece ourselves. And a lot of times, you know, the agency will take it out because that's um, their way of getting the business, is, you know, they're, because they're competing with other agencies who, will also take out that line. But if you have, if you're in the luxurious position of having a, a project manager, you can go to that project manager and explain why it's important and get the content strategy put in as a line item and embedded in the places where they need to be embedded. So if you're, um, uh, if you've got a, a development methodology within your organization, you can get included in that. Um, if you, um, come in or brought in on a project, then you say, okay, here, here are the places that uh, we need to be involved or your content development group needs to be involved. If you have um, not so much a project, but it's an ongoing need for some sort of a content strategy and you have a, a product manager or a program manager, then that's the place to start is to say, okay, you know, up until now, we haven't really codified this as a, as a line item in our methodology, but we need to kind of incorporate this in here, and this is why, and then show some examples and um, get their buy-in. But really, it is now that um, working with other departments in the organization or other um, other functional teams and what that also means though is that you have to become part of the functional team so you have to kind of step up to the plate and and say um, I'm going to sit at this table along with the rest of you like we're not sitting at the kids table anymore <laughs> you know we're at the, the grown-ups table here and and just kind of um, make a place for content strategy at at the, the larger corporate table yeah, you know, making a place at that table sometimes be difficult. Um, it can be. I mean, I, I the projects that I'm on sometimes I, I'll be excluded from certain meetings that I that I think you know I I should probably probably be there. User councils, you know, where they give feedback or mm -hmm. or the interaction designers are are pitching their their design, and I'm thinking you know uh, I feel like I should be part of those, but I've sometimes had a difficulty making a business case for it and so I'll just passively kind of go about my day and and not worry about it how, how can that how can uh well I kind of want to wrap up here and ask you what specific steps do you think uh like in a practical point of view what specific things should people who are technical communication professionals uh, do in order to move in the direction of content strategy I think there are a few things that you can do, and one is to, um, you know, have passion about what you're doing, 
and to understand that passion and be able to articulate that passion within the context of the corporate uh, operation. So, you know, corporations exist to make money. And so you need to be able to articulate your business case within that framework of, you know, our organization exists to do this. And by doing this, whatever the this is, you know, you're assuming that it's furthering the corporate goal. And, um, and I can help you reach that goal, whether it's faster, easier, better, all of the above, and, um, and get the people that you report to on board. So you have to basically sell the concept up the line. And by selling the concept up the line, you're going to get an executive sponsor who already sits at the, those tables and gets it. But you have to make sure that they really get it. And, you know, you, you can imagine um, an accounting person going in and saying, you know, up until now, I've been doing double entry bookkeeping the old fashioned way in the ledger. And every time you ask me for a report, it takes me a month. And every time you want this, it's we can't do it. And we don't know how much money we're making. And um, I think I can help you if you buy me this tool here's how I can use this tool to um, give you what you need. So it's not even focusing on the tool, but it's on the, I can give you what you need to further the, um, you know, the sound fiscal management of this company. They're going to sit up and take notice. So it's kind of the same thing as where you you say, you know, you have this need for, um, this and this and this and this on the content side that you that you know because you know what the the company's doing well if we do this and whether this is doing the content differently um, managing it differently working with a, a different group or being included in certain meetings and you make a compelling enough case they're going to sit up and listen because their job is to take care of the the um the health and longevity of the company. So the, the the understanding and expressing this in business terms is really important. So you're, you're basically saying that you, you need to be aware of, of what the goals, the business goals are for, for this and speak to that. And Oh, definitely. And, and that's uh, for any kind of business unit manager or, or department manager, that's what they need to do. And up until recently, and even today, you still hear writers kind of go like, oh, I hate that side. You know, I hate business and that's why I went into writing. And um, that's fine if you're a, a writer, like line staff writer, and that you can afford to kind of tune out the rest of the world. But as soon as you get to that strategic point, you have to think strategically. And that means thinking business. You know, thinking in business terms. And so um, you're absolutely right. You have to be able to make the case and you have to be able to um, think in terms of your corporate goals and not just your department goals. Because by the time you're thinking department goals, that's at a tactical level. That's not strategic anymore. That's the implementation side. Yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, this is, I think content strategy is, is a pretty cool field because... This is just this last week. I'm kind of in the writing phase of a project, 
And I found myself getting pretty bored about it. I mean, just writing help topic after help topic, it wasn't that engaging. And, and it seems like if you, if you take a look at content strategy and look at the project as a whole and how it fits into this, these business uh, objectives and things like that and try to coordinate among all these different formats and deliverables, try to make them more efficient and in harmony with, with that objective, it seems like it's a little more challenging, more intellectually uh, fulfilling and, and uh, I don't know, more engaging. So, well, Rahel, is there anything else that you wanted to say about content strategy that, that you haven't yet? What, when's your book going to be finished and things like that? <laughs> well, probably not until the end of the year. Um, I'm co-authoring it with uh, someone and, you know, we're in different time zones and on different continents, so there's a little bit of that going on. Um, I just think that content strategy is very exciting. It's an exciting time in our industry and it's an exciting time for uh, the potential. You know, we're really in that information age and and the potential for what we're doing is uh, exploding. And our challenge is going to be to capitalize on that. And I would love it if everyone would be a content strategist, that, you know, everyone would get it and, and just embrace it. And I know it's not possible and that's not the way corporations are set up but um, that doesn't mean we can't internalize the um, principles of it and use that to um, you know get the things done that we want to do because I think ultimately all of us want to help the user you know we're all user advocates and so um, by engaging more strategically it will make your job more interesting because instead of writing a help topic for the sake of writing a help topic, you're writing the help topic knowing that it's going to be um, more likely to be used by the user. So uh, I just think it's an exciting time and and I'm really looking forward to the future. All right, Rahel, well, thanks thanks for talking to me today. If uh, people want to know more about Rahel, they can go to her website, intentionaldesign.com. C-A. C-A. Do you, rec- do you have mm-hmm. any other resources you recommend? Have you read Christina Halverson's book that hasn't been published yet? On- <laughs> I, I've seen a bit of it, but um, I'm, <clears throat> I'm anxiously awaiting for it to be published just like everyone else. And uh, there is also another book out there by, uh, I think it's by Richard Sheffield, called uh, Content Strategy for the World Wide Web. And it's more... Um, focused on web delivered content but you know many of us face those challenges so there's a lot in there that's really good all right well thanks for hell thank you it's been a pleasure being here today